When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are now listening to the unmistakable sounds of the War Report Weekend Tailgate. It's your boy, C-Dog. Be weird. I was out last week, but got a chance to check out the hype video that Mike G put together and uh, almost flipped over my table and ran through a wall uh, right before the show started. Um, awesome job. Uh, Mike G showing why he's one of the goats of hype videos. Uh, the, the goat. The, the, the originator. My, my bad. The originator. <laughs> the originator. No, OGs was, will uh, get the reference. Yeah. <laughs> Jiggle what? <laughs> hey, see? See? He's a real one. He's a real one. But no, uh, amazing, amazing video. I don't know what, you know, what the reception was live, uh, but but uh, it definitely had me ready for some football in the month of April, where there's none, Harley, at this point. But uh, definitely looking forward to the upcoming year. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about a particular article or part of an article I read. Uh, Philip Dukes, who who writes for Armin Undercover, posted a little bit of a of a blurb of a talking about Harson and kind of rebuilding their image and brand in the state. And he mentioned how there was a lot of you know rumors about Harson not reaching out to high school coaches. And while he didn't name any names, um, he mentioned that there was a coach that really has been kind of won over by Harson and his staff in terms of them not only reaching out to players, but their coaches as well. Uh, we talked about in the last live how Harson and the staff um, has started their spring evaluations where they're trying to basically visit every high school in the state of Alabama to build those relationships, speaking of his assistance. But they talked about how Harson has pretty much done a complete 180 in terms of building those relationships. And while he was unnamed, the coach said, I feel... If one of my players wants to go play at Auburn, I'm cool with it because he's seen a a transformation in terms of from his advantage point of how the coaches are interacting with them as well as the players. So what I take from that is that, you know, in year one, Harson and staff was adjusting to this landscape. Uh, recruiting in the state of Alabama, I think it's safe to say, is different from recruiting in Idaho. Uh, so 
there's an adjustment period. And it seems like Harson, at the very least, is adjusting to the landscape in the SEC. He's adjusting to what his, his rivals and opponents are doing. But he's also getting acclimated and understanding what it takes to be successful with this facet of the job. What do you guys make of it? Your thoughts about this uh, this piece of the article? How do you feel this this goes into Harson being successful moving down the road? I'll start with you, Ike. Um, I mean, listen, uh, we have to, you know, we talked a little bit about this. We've got to get better in the state. And I think uh, the the concerted effort that the staff is making to realize that, you know, taking care of home is important is going to go a long way into making sure that we have prolonged success at Auburn. Um, you know, just wanting to have talent from your state, wanting to have that talent come to your school is big, right? Like, um, but then making sure that you're aware of that talent and, and securing those people. There's there's too many stories, way too many stories of awesome talent from the state of Alabama doing wonderful things at somebody else's schools, right? And we need to make sure that we've got the at least the first bite of the apple against that type of thing, right? Like if they don't want to come to Auburn, that's different, but it's not because we didn't do our due diligence in making sure we were aware of where the athletes were and putting in the work to make sure that they had the opportunity to come to Auburn. Uh, we've got to start doing that more. So I like the effort that the coaching staff is putting into it. I like the focus that's happening with it. it. It's not to say that there was no effort before, but there's definitely a change in the focus on that. And that's going to be important, I think, in winning some of those recruiting battles coming up. That was Mike G. Um, I think a lot of the I think this is only a story because it was overblown from the beginning. Um, people Fair. blatantly ignore a lot of the the COVID restrictions that were in place when the staff started recruiting. Right. Um, and then the other half of it was, okay, so they're not doing, they were used to all these high school coaches. They're used to eight years of one thing. And this guy takes over our program in the middle of a pandemic with, you know, um, a bunch of turmoil around him, NIL transfer portal, all this stuff is starting. And I think they were just drinking from a fire hose, man. I do. I think they were drinking from a fire hose and they made some mistakes. And I think if you talk to them, they would say, we made some mistakes. But that was it. And turning the tide probably wasn't very hard because if you're introspective at all and you just realize, okay, yeah, we should have put some more focus here. We should have done this. We should have done that. Then, you know, they're doing better now and, and people are starting to realize, okay, it's not that this guy from the North just came in is ignoring all the traditions. And that was never the intent. So, um, believe it or not, coaches are not infallible. Despite the amount of money they make, they're not perfect people. They make mistakes. You know, as long as he's learning from them and moving forward, I'm good with it. That's it. You know, right now, he is not only doing, they're not only doing this like high school blitz, he's doing player evaluations as well, too. I know I talked to Brad Lerondo. He, he, he talks to me about coaches schedule for the next couple of weeks. And uh, he's got a lot of things going on, man. I mean, it's 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 a lot that it, it feels like off season to us, but there is no real off season for them. Alan Green talked about this too when when Ike and I interviewed him about how like during the off season, it's off season to us, but to them, there's no off season because there's always something that needs to be done. I think that they're getting in their groove of those things that need to be done, and I'm looking forward to see what it yields on the field. Uh, ultimately. A lot of this recruiting stuff will start to take care of itself um, based on two things. Number one, results on the field in the fall. 
So he's got to focus on how does he put a better product, a more uh, uh, something that projects more hope onto the field in the fall. Number two, um, what our community does in terms of NIL. We need more businesses and we need more alumni to step up and do these deals. Like when you when you talk about uh, what's happening at other schools, uh, I can I were talking about just the other day. There was a. Uh, there was an article about Texas O-linemen. And if you come to Texas, they're all getting like 75K. Listen, hear me out, people. Hear me, people. Texas isn't paying them that money. The University of Texas is not paying them any money. The business that's giving them that money is run by a very wealthy Texas alumni. And I think he was a former player. I could be mistaken. I looked up his website. It's a legitimate business that's been in business for a while. You can look up his net worth. And he says, this is what I want to do. What he's giving these linemen, I promise you, he pays more than that in taxes. Now, Sarkeesian, what, what kind of product did he put on the field last year? It was terrible. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't the yeah. best thing I've ever yeah. seen. It was not good. It was a departure from what he was doing at Bama. Somehow, all their alumni didn't jump ship and say, I'm not giving any money to NIL. It's not even for the coach. It's for the players. So get off your high horse. Let go of your ego and just realize if you claim to love Auburn and love these athletes as much as you say you do, Brian Harson has nothing to do with the money that should be given by our community and our alumni base to name in likeness. Nothing. You give that money regardless of how you feel he's doing because you're not. He's going to leave here a millionaire no matter what. You're not setting him back. You're not really hurting Brian Harson. The people who are really hurting from that decision are the kids and the potential recruits that he's trying to go out and get. So you can help this coach with that recruiting while they're on these recruiting blitzes because he can't talk about NIL. He can't, like, guys... Uh, uh, I did a great roundtable discussion about the effects of NIL on, um, if you haven't seen that, please go watch that video. Uh, we got perspective from different schools. Uh, Penn State was up in there. Oregon was up in there. Uh, wh- what school is the girl from? Uh, she is with the ACC, but she, I think she covers more North Carolina. Okay. Athletics. Um, and I mean, great, great perspective from kind of different corners, you know, of the country. Um, we've got some more content coming explaining NIL for from for people who clearly just don't understand it. But it's going to play a role in recruiting. When he's going to these schools, kids want to know that when they come to Auburn, they will have chances to maximize NIL. But you know who is not in control of it? Brian Harson. He cannot tell a kid, if you come to Auburn, we'll get you an NIL deal. That is 1,000% against the rules. He can't say that. That's what's called an inducement. If you get caught doing that, you're in trouble and you might cost that kid his eligibility. It's the community. These have to be legitimate business transactions and I don't care what other schools are doing. If they're skirting the line, let them do it. Why do you think like, okay, so uh, I cannot talk about this too Jimbo Fisher's class, best ever. We know NIL played a role in them getting the athletes that pushed them from probably three, two, or one to best ever. 
But if you watch the rant where he got so mad that people were saying that his class was bought. Now, part of it was the reason he got upset is because he doesn't play a role in that. Right. He doesn't play a role in that. And they definitely benefited from NIL. That was their community that stepped up and did all those deals. They made it easy for him to say, hey, listen, read an article. If you come to Texas A&M, you won't have a problem getting an NIL deal. Our community is taking care of that for us. Here's the education. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. What I can promise you as a coach is that you'll have a chance to play in the best conference in the best division in college football. You'll get developed and you'll have a chance to go to the league. Now, while you're doing all that, the community will make sure that there are opportunities for you if you handle your part on the football field to make money off your name and likeness. So, you know, that that is that's got to be part of this message, too. I know you asked about, you know, again, this is part of when he's going into these high schools. They're asking this. They're asking this. And we've got to be able to say, yes, there's an opportunity for that, but stay on the right side of the line. Because I'm telling you, all it's going to take is is for you to make an inducement to one athlete and a coach who doesn't like Brian Harson hears it, and then it's a scandal. There's so many people who are so misguided on this, on this, on this subject of recruiting and name and likeness and all this stuff. I'm just like, guys, give it some time. Yeah. Give it some time, man. Right? I get it. Other other coaches are seemingly hitting the ground running. But you know what? They were a lot of them were fighting a lot less than what Brian Harson is having to fight walking in the door. Right. Millie Napier just sat down and started coaching. You know, uh, you know, some of these other schools, uh, your fans are frustrated because they feel like when you go to these other places, it's just happening. And here it's not just happening. We all have a role to play. We have some exciting announcements coming in terms of NIL about how you guys can get involved and help. The everyday man will have a chance to be a part of what we're talking about. So I, I, I think it's good what they're doing, going out to these high schools, convincing coaches. They're, they're clearly turning minds. They're changing minds. And they're establishing relationships. And they're developing support staff around just that as well, too. So they're putting more resources into that. You know, he's Brian Harson is one guy and his staff. That's a limited amount of people. They need it's more than that. Guys, recruiting is a bunch of people going out to a bunch of places, making contact, you know, setting the stage for our coaches to show up. So these high schools, scouting players, talent eval, like all this stuff, man, it's 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 a army of people yeah. trying to get this done. So. I'm excited. I'm excited about what it'll bring, but ultimately, I, I, it won't mean a hill of beans, man, if we go out there and lay an egg in the fall. Kids sure. got kids got kids have to see that the the program is headed the right direction and that there's that there's opportunity in coming to Auburn University, and, and the best way to do that is to show that on the field. It's your boy Ike Jones, and you're listening to the War Report's Weekend Tailgate Podcast. Did you know that you can find this and most of our other podcast content on YouTube first? That's right. 
Just search The War Report on YouTube and you'll find our channel where we broadcast this and other shows live. We've also got Auburn football and basketball press conferences, film reviews, game highlights, interviews, and special guest segments too. All of the Auburn sports content you can ask for and then some. Now that you know, let's get back to the show. Let's talk about something that we hope to see improve on the field. And let's talk about our passing offense. There were times our passing offense left a lot to be desired. We did see improvement in certain aspects of it as the season went on last year in 2021. But one of the things that I have belabored has been the deep ball. Whether it's it's a pass that's catchable or guys making the catch, it's 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 been frustrating to see at times. And in some cases, it's been almost non-existent, right? So what I want to do is just kind of give some stats and we kind of break down. Um, I want to look at a few things. What Auburn did last year and then look at what our returning QBs did last year as an idea of what we can expect to see. Okay. So last year, Auburn of 376, I believe, pass attempts that Auburn made, Auburn only attempted 71 passes that were 20 yards or more Mm. last year, 18% of its passes. And want to give you a stat and and I'll, I'll show you this graphic really quick, but Auburn total, they completed 25 of 71 total passes of 20 yards or more. That means it traveled through the air at least 20 yards before it was received or hit it, whatever it hit, right? 35% of its passes Auburn completed of passes of 20 yards or more for a total of 782 yards. Uh, those resulted in a total of eight touchdowns and one interception. Now, let's take a look really quick at how that looked in terms of the direction of these passes. Left side of the field, middle of the field, right side of the field. So outside left, Auburn actually completed eight of 22 for 36% of, his, of, of the passes attempted for a total of 223 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That's to the left side of the field. Between the numbers, Auburn, they attempted more, completing also more, 13 of 35 for 37%. 451 yards, four total touchdowns, no interceptions. To the right, and I think this is interesting because I've seen this at other schools as well, the attempts are less to the right, it seems. But Auburn attempted 14, completed four for 28%. 108 total yards, one TD. You add all those numbers up, you have the number I gave you previously, Auburn's 25 of 71, 782 yards, eight touchdowns, and an interception. The quarterbacks from last year, obviously, Bo Nix, who's no longer with the program, and TJ Finley. Now, we'll give you Finley's numbers in a moment and Calzada's numbers in a moment. What do we make of what Auburn did last year in the passing game as we kind of relive those moments in some of these games. Um, real quick, Ike, you asked me about this. Auburn receivers dropped a total of two passes, mm. catchable passes, for passes of 20 yards or more. 
There was only two drops for the deep balls, okay? The, the returning receiver who was targeted the most is Shedrick Jackson. Oh, I figured that would be it. Um, Kobe was the leading, but he's not coming back next year. Right. So Shedrick was next there. Uh, he was actually targeted a total of 14 times, two receptions for a total of 66 yards. Okay? So when we think about our passing offense, and it seems like these coaches, as the year went on, had a better understanding of who could do what in our passing game. Um, is that a fair assessment? What, 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 what do you make of that, Ike, when you see those numbers? Um, so I, the, the, you know, if you listen to me talk early in the season, I was pretty much astounded at the number of targets we had down the field to Shedrick Jackson in the scenarios in which we were placing him in. Like it just, I, I didn't think that he was the guy to be able to do that. I think part of what you see in those statistics is just not understanding or not having a receiver that was a deep threat, right? Like Javarius Johnson was hurt earlier in the season. It's clear that he was a deep threat guy. Um, D-Rob, for whatever reason, didn't materialize into a deep threat guy, even though he has the speed. Um, and we just didn't really have a 50-50 guy. Like, you didn't have Seth Williams out there to just throw prayers to and hopefully he could come down with. Uh, so I think a lot of what you see there is figuring out or getting back your speedy receiver. And, um, you know, Malcolm Johnson was hurt for a portion of the year last year. Tavares Dawson didn't play very much last year. He seems like he's going to be emerging as a, a speedy, deep threat kind of guy. So I think what you see indicated by the numbers is that we were trying to get the ball downfield, but to who, like, who were we throwing those passes to? Um, and did we really have a guy in the wide receiver core that was getting the type of deep separation necessary for us to be more efficient in that number one and number two, um, you know, if you look at how it progressed over the season, uh, Specifically talking about with the previous quarterback, I think his accuracy got better as the season went on. And so those deep threats became more real in situations where he was able to make those connections. So, you know, hopefully this year, um, if you look at the the A-Day game, right, you'll see TJ Finley's, he, he took a couple of shots down the field. Will we start to see that sort of thing? And, you know, for the most part, he airmailed one of them. For the most part, they were fairly accurate throws, Right. Will he be able to reproduce that in live game scenarios where he's going to be, you know, possibly getting hit? That's yet to be seen. But I do think that the coaching staff last year was at least making the attempt to go deep. Um, but, you know, sub 30, I mean, excuse me, sub 40 percent across the board is just not good, though. It's we've got that's got to get better. That's got to get drastically better in order for us to be able to be um, effective in that 20 plus yard range. And I spot checked. I didn't check every team in the SEC, Ike, but I looked at Georgia, um, who actually had comparable numbers in terms of attempts. Mm -hmm. um, I looked at uh, I looked at A and M, who actually had less attempts than we did, uh, but all of their pro completion percentages were better. Mm. So to your point, yes, we have to improve in that area, and of course, you have to identify a guy for that. Right. Uh, before we get to the break, and I, I want to read some comments here, but I do want to get Mike's initial thoughts on what the stats say, a courtesy of Pro Football Focus. Mike, what do you make of, of those numbers uh, in addition to what Ike has said? 
Yeah, well, for you kind of referenced it, but for for reference, people need to understand what's good in terms of those numbers. Right. Right. Between 40 and 50 percent is 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 good. Nobody's out here completing passes beyond 20 yards at a clip better than 50 percent regularly. Those are your th- those are the most elite passers in college football. So um, but what we can't be is we can't be down in the 20s. You know, if you're, you know, starting to approach the, uh, um, you know, the high 30s, you're, you're, you're inching the right direction. But ideally, if we have a passer that's about 45% coin flip every single time, that means that he's giving the receivers a chance to catch the ball and they're winning at least half of the time. Because there are a lot of factors that, you know, that factor into these downfield passes. Quarterback can throw a perfect pass, but the pass can be perfectly defended as well, too. Right. The receiver can has plays a role in that. There's once it leaves the quarterback's hands, there's so many different things that can happen on these down the field passes that are outside of the quarterback's control. So uh, you know, it's not just about that's why sometimes we look at adjusted completion percentage uh to see, okay, how many of these passes should have been caught. And it's not showing up in the numbers. If you just look at pure percentage, it's not gonna tell the whole story. And then you look at defended passes as well, too. How many of these were good passes, but were just well defended, perfectly defended by the defenders? Uh, you know, what we saw during A-Day with TJ Finley was we saw him give receivers a chance. We, talk, we saw him give receivers a chance. He gave T- Tavares Dawson a chance. He gave uh, uh, Tank a chance. He threw a dime to, to, to Shedrick up the middle of the field, 20 yards. That was caught. Uh, and then he airmailed air the one that was intercepted, but you can't throw that pass at all. I mean, I'm not even sure what he was throwing at. Um, but um, when you do, it can't be that play. It has to be either my receiver or nobody on these down-the-field passes. So, uh, yeah, I just think the numbers say that we need to get better at this, certainly. Uh, or defenses are not going to respect anything that we do. They're going to load the box, make life hard for Tank, and then make you prove that you can beat them down the field. Having a good like downfield passing game has a lot to do with teams remaining balanced. If you don't, then what you need, if you're going to dink and dunk people inside 20 yards, you need a quarterback who's deadly accurate. Quarterback has to be super accurate, you know, so accurate that DBs never have a chance because the ball's always just right where it should be. And either the receiver is going to catch it or he's not. Um, so that's why I think the numbers say just there's room for there's lots of room for improvement. Lots of room for improvement. But, you know, ultimately, uh, those guys just have to go out there and, and show us they can do it. We tried. It wasn't for lack of trying. We tried to right. push the ball down the field at times. It just was not effective. Agreed. Agreed. And to to your point too, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna dink and dunk, you need a quarterback who's really good at diagnosing defenses pre snap as well. Will Rogers type, like a Will yeah. Rogers type. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's 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 get to a few of these these comments uh, here. We appreciate you guys watching with us as well as commenting, and we definitely appreciate your super chats. Lee Bands here says, "Preach, Mike." When you was discussing nil. Um, music to his ears uh philip coleman here says yellowwood can come off of some of that money and pay the players since he wants to have a say in what the program is doing 
Okay, go so pay, go pay some of these O lines to come here. What you got? So like? this this is again part of the rules. This is why we're doing we're spending so much focus on NIL. Jimmy Rain sits on the board of trustees. Board of trustees members cannot do NIL deals. It's against the rules. So unfortunately, we need somebody else with a bunch of money to step up, or we need him to step down <laughs> and start paying players. Either way, um, I, you know, my understanding of it is, is that because he sits on the board of trustees, he cannot, his company or anybody, anything company associated with him cannot hand out NIL deals. Uh, Rick, appreciate your man, says Jimbo was ranting because he didn't want to admit that NIL money was part of the outcome. He wanted to claim it as it was their superior recruiting. <sighs> okay, so he was ranting because he has no control over it. So he's not going to sit here and talk to you about money he doesn't control. And I don't think his point was that it did not have any effect on his class. His point is, is that his staff is busting ass in recruiting. And their numbers show that. They're, they're like top seven the last four years. Since he's been there, I don't think they've had a class ranked worse, worse than seven. And when you look at average star rating, they're right up there with the big boys. Minus NIL, it's conceivable that they could have still had the number one class this year. Maybe not the best of all time, like they're calling it. That's about those three. People just don't understand. It's like one player, when you're that close in the top five, landing one five-star player can jump you to the front of the line. That's it. What he does with those players is going to be more important than having the number one class of all time. As a matter of fact, it puts a lot of pressure on them to do something with those players. Not going to look good. If you're not in a title game two to three years from now with the best class of all time. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what the rant about is about. The rant is I cannot control that. I have no, so I'm not gonna sit here and talk to you about something I can't control. And it's a and, and, and Rick, hear me out. It's a gotcha question by the media. If he starts talking NIL, somebody is gonna poke a hole in that and say, uh-oh, this guy is way more involved in this than he should be. And they tried to catch him up, and he got mad. <laughs> yeah, I would, too. It's a gotcha question. Kyle here says, I don't see NIL making a huge difference in where teams finish in recruiting. All of the teams that finish in the top 10 will continue to finish in the top 10. There's truth to that statement, right? If you look at the top 10 this year, the only new player in it from the previous years is Texas. Texas definitely used NIL to boost their recruiting rankings. They got more four stars than they have been getting in the past, right? So they they out their recruiting outperformed their performance on the field certainly. And I do believe that NIL, when you look at the deals that they're getting, um, the the O lineman thing, it worked. They recruited seven O linemen. Five of them are like four stars. So it definitely worked. I don't. I think it would be naive to say that there's no correlation between their class. But the rest of those guys in the top 10 are just, it's the names we see every year. The schools taking the most advantage of NIL were already recruiting at a high level anyway. What it did was it widened the gap between the haves and the have-nots. With a few schools that are uniquely positioned as maybe not part of the big boys to use NIL money to help, to help them compete and get recruits that they otherwise would have no shot at. But for the most part, it's still Bama, Ohio State, you know, Clemson. It's still all them up there.